For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Martin McCloskey. On Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark McCloskey. Mark McCloskey on Fire News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. You can catch me on my Twitter feed, now known as X, on Facebook on Rumble, any place you get your podcast. And uh, I've got to go ahead and fess up. We just we just did this whole program, but it didn't take, so we're going to do it again for a second time. So if my guest or I look a little confused, it's because this is this is interview take two. Um, you know, and, and as I said, you know, these days we hear UFO phenomenon in the news all the time. It's been testimony in front of Congress by whistleblowers that claim to have worked on or, or supervised or reverse engineering of alien devices, alien bodies, all this sort of thing. Even uh, even ex-governor Chris Christie got caught flat-footed at the first Republican debate on the issue of UFOs. Well, I happen to have here as my guest today a young man, the young age of, what, 73, who has uh, devoted his life to uh, researching an interesting triad of concepts, and that's politics, biblical prophecy, and UFO phenomenon. And I'd like to welcome to the show then Mr. L.A. Marzulli. Would you introduce yourself to us, please? Well, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Great to be here. And I just got a thumbs up from our engineer. We're actually recording this time. So, <laughs> so all right. Um, so, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm an author. I'm a filmmaker. I've penned 13 books. Number 14 is in the pipeline. Uh, that title will be The Ladder of Disclosure, uh, basically dealing with the whole UFO phenomena. Um, I'm also, um, I was one of the world's experts on the Nephilim. Uh, many of the books I've written go back to the Nephilim. I've been all over the world on the trail of the Nephilim, which is the title of our huge, thick book um, by the same title. Uh, I've been to places like Gilgal Raphaim in Israel, uh, Menge in Spain, Sardinia in the Mediterranean, of course, all over the Americas from Ohio all the way down to the Gulf, Sacsayhuaman in, in Peru, Oyotzintambo, Machu Picchu. I mean, Teotihuacan in Mexico, Chaco Canyon. Uh, I've been on the trail of Nephilim because, in my opinion, there is a hidden history that's been deliberately obfuscated from the peoples of the world. Well, tell and us, that's tell why us, and you, I'm you, out filming. I, I'm going to, sorry I didn't, to cut you off. I didn't mean to. Hey, you know, you've used this, this uh, word Nephilim many times now in the last couple of minutes. That's a word that's probably foreign to most of our audience. Uh, explain that. The Nephilim is, is found in the biblical prophetic narrative, specifically in Genesis 6 is the first time we actually hear that word. The Nephilim are the progeny, the offspring of the fallen angelic hosts, the ones that rebelled against God Almighty, El Shaddai, and the human women of earth, creating this hybrid entity known as the Nephilim. So it's a mingling of the seed. And by the way, we've I've done, I think, like 26 films now, uh, been involved, directed, produced, co-produced, 26 films. So there's quite a um, a body of work that uh, people can go, lamarzulli.net, and there's all sorts of information, much more than we have in the 30 minutes to talk about it here. Yeah. 
And, and you know, for those of us who, uh, who aren't biblical scholars, uh, tell, us, tell us what the reference is in Genesis to the Nephilim and what that means for us today. The most important scripture in, in all of the biblical prophetic narrative, in my opinion, is the Genesis 3.15 scripture. Because what that's, it, it sets up the rest of the Bible. So you've got Adam and Eve in the garden. And by the way, the whole Garden of Eden thing, it's a dragon trap. Hats off to Gary Stearman on that. But it's a dragon trap. People go, well, why would God allow you know, the dragon to come in? Because that's part of the end game. That's, that's the whole ball. It's a dragon trap. He knows that the dragon's going to do what he's going to do. He knows all ahead of time, Adam and Eve are going to blow it, and I, we get all that. But from that, Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, is in the garden, and he looks at the dragon, and he says, your seed, your offspring, I'll say it again. He looks at the dragon, Satan, your, your seed, your offspring, will be at war, at enmity, with the seed, the offspring of the woman. The one coming from the woman, the Proto-Evangelium, the Messiah, will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. It's the whole Bible right there. It's not taught. People don't know it. People aren't aware of it. They don't, they don't understand the implications of the seed war because it's all about the seed. It is all about the seed. Three chapters later, we get the advent of the Nephilim. When the sons of God saw the daughters of men and, and, and saw that they were beautiful, comely, fair, they took wives, plural, as many as they wanted, and went into them. That's the biblical sense. And the offspring of this holy union of the B'nai Ahalokim, which is Hebrew for sons of God, always referring to angels. B'nai Ahalokim, that's, that's the Genesis 6, the sons of God. That's how it translates. B'nai Ha-Elohim. It's nothing about the sons of Seth or the Huchi Mamas of Cain. It's the angelic host seeing the earthly women. They're creating a hybrid. You say, well, why would God allow that? Because the protocols of this heavenly war, we're not privy to. We get to see some of them. We get an understanding of some of the protocols that are set up in this ongoing battle. We know who wins in the end. Just turn to the book of Revelation. But we don't understand a lot of what we see. But we get this glimpse in Genesis 6. We get the first commingling of the seed. Why? Because the dragon knows if he can pollute the genome in the human race, Messiah will not be born because he can't be. His line has to be perfect. And once he pollutes the genome, and this is why it's absolutely crucial to understand Genesis 3.15. Because when we get to the flood of Noah, like I did 43 years ago, when I became born again and spirit-filled, I almost threw the Bible against the wall. It's like, wait a minute, why is this guy destroying the entire planet? Except for eight people? What's going on here? Not realizing that the, that the fallen angels were engaged in their mischief for at least 400 years before the advent of the flood. Then it says something, again, if we don't understand Genesis 3.15, when we get to this little thing, but Noah was pure in all his generations. Well, why, why is that in there? Why does the Holy Spirit put that in the Genesis narrative? Because it's important to know and understand that Noah, Noah's sons, Noah's sons' wives, they're all pure. The DNA is not contaminated by fallen angel DNA. So Messiah still can come. And, of course, that's what happens thousands of years later. Well, and, and so back in the concept of the flood and wiping out the, uh, uh, the, the bad seed, so to speak, uh, and I know that uh, Genesis says that uh, there were giants in the earth in those days and afterwards. Tell us how, how, how the Nephilim survived the flood. Right here. This is the book I wrote, How the Nephilim Returned After the Flood, Counter Move. And I wrote this book. You know, I just, I just, I just give you these softballs, don't I? 
<laughs> I love it. <laughs> and you, you can get this by going to lamarzuli.net. But for, for years, people asked that question, well, how did they return after the flood the same way they came the first time? It's no mystery. They just showed up because it's the, it's the only game they have. The only chance they have is to pollute somehow, contaminate the genome so that the Messiah cannot be born. This is why the genealogy, which is found in the biblical prophetic narrative, is so important. This is why it's crucial. Matthew gives it in one, one Luke gives us in another, the genealogy from Joseph, the genealogy from Mary. And, and you can't do that today, because all those records were destroyed when the, sec, the, the second temple was destroyed in AD 70, when Titus and the crew came in and, and raised Jerusalem and killed over a million inhabitants. It must have been unbelievable. So you can't trace the genealogy anymore, but we have it. We have it in the Gospels. And it's so important to show that Jesus is pure in all his generations. And it comes from, you know, when, when, when this all happened, when Abraham gets tapped out, when Jesus shows up with the two angels and he sits down with Abraham and Abraham and Sarah, and this is the work of Chuck Messler, which is just profound. And, you know, Sarah's already 90 years old at this point, and so is Abe. They're up there. So they're not, they're not you know, they're not having, a, having fun in the sack at night, more than likely, okay? Most 90-year-olds don't, but I digress. So the bottom line is Jesus tells Sarah overhears him, you know, this time next year you're going to have a child. She just starts laughing. How's that going to happen? You know, I haven't had my moon cycle in 20 years, 30 years. That's not going to happen. We also know that later on when Abraham goes down to Egypt, Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem. Pharaoh is not going to take some 90-year-old crone into his harem. Chuck Missler, and he's the first person I ever heard talk about this, they were regenerated, which is absolutely astounding. Now, it's not there in the biblical text. It's not, and, and the Lord God regenerated them. It's not there. But something goes on. Sarah's laughing. A year later, she's, she's given birth. Yeah. So Abraham is tapped out, and once Abraham's tapped out, all hell breaks loose. Well, let's, let's uh, flash forward then 2,500 years or so uh, to the modern era and uh, tell us, because as I, as I did my lead-in, everything's pointing towards a great revelation that all of a sudden all these facts and all this history that has been hidden from us for, for millennia is all of a sudden going to be dumped on us as, as reality. And uh, how does that tie into to biblical prophecy? Prophecy tells us from the book of Daniel, which is about 2,500 years old, that in the latter days, seal up the words in this book, Daniel. Just seal them up. People will read it, and they won't understand it until the time of the end. And the, and the angel tells us what the time of the end will look like. He gives us sort of a supernatural clue. Men and women were in two and four over the face of the earth. Knowledge will increase. That hasn't happened until modernity, until Gutenberg with the printing press, and then in the Industrial Revolution, it really takes off. So the bottom line is we are now in the window of time of which the angel appeared to Daniel's is speaking about. So the book is unsealed. Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. Their seed will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not cleave to them. The word cleave is the word that we get in Genesis for the marriage contract. No, they're not cleaving. There is no marriage contract. Who's Who are they? Their seed will mingle with the seed of men. Well, it's not men. It's not, a, it's not an elephant. That's not going to happen. So it's only one. It's the fallen angels. And this is why Jesus warns us 
couple, you know, a while after Daniel. It'll be like the days of Noah when I return. What differentiates the days of Noah? This is from our Savior. Out of all the Tanakh, out of the Old Testament, because the New Testament hasn't been written, when he's saying these words, that out of the entire Tanakh, the entire Old Testament, it'll be like the days of Noah when the Son of Man returns. Why does he point back to that? Because he's also foreshadowing Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. Their seed will mingle. Who were they? The fallen angels. This is why Genesis 3.15 is imperative. Because if, if you don't know Genesis 3.15, if we aren't schooled in that, if we haven't done a deep dive, when we get to Daniel chapter 2, verse 43, no idea what he's talking about. When we get to Jesus' admonition, warning us of what the time will be like. It'll be like the days of Noah. If we don't understand the days of Noah, what's Jesus talking about? Nothing makes sense. But the moment we plug Genesis 3.15 into the equation, bam, everything like a set of dominoes just falls into place. And and so here we are in 2023. Now then for thousands of years, um, the fallen angels have been polluting the uh, the gene pool, to put it mildly. And, uh, and there's a fight between good and evil, between the polluted, the semi-demonic, and the and the uh, the pure of spirit uh, is that is that where we find ourselves today? Absolutely, there is uh, there are hybrids walking amongst us. There is the mingling of the seed. In our fourth uh, offering, we have a, a UFO film series. So we've got right now we've got six films in the offering. The last one's on cattle mutilations. Number four is on the abduction phenomena. We sit down with four people: two men, two women. All of them that have been abducted. Uh, three of them from a very early age, usually six years old. They, so one of them was implanted with an implant. Our team was the only team that, that, have, that I'm aware of, the only Christian team that's ever taken out an implant. That implant was put in this guy when he was like six or seven years old. We took it out, and it's all on film. It's in our Watchers series. But the abduction phenomenon is number four in the UFO series. And the women are taken at a very early age uh, when they become – in, into puberty, ovum is taken from the men, sperm is taken from the men, excuse me, ovum is taken from the women, sperm is taken from the men, mingling of the seed. The women find themselves pregnant. Brett Baer, Fox News, not L.A. Marzulli, Fox News, reported that some women who are in close proximity or have spent time on UFOs find themselves pregnant. That's my wheelhouse. And in number four, we interviewed Karen. We're actually publishing her book, Stolen Seed. It'll be out this fall because she was abducted countless times and she was impregnated by them three times. And in the third month of the pregnancy, they come back and they take the child from the womb. And, you know, when uh, child, no, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I know that uh, that when people are randomly surveyed, the, uh, the, the percentage of people walking around the planet today, that report abduction phenomenon is a huge percentage of the population. It's a lot more common than people realize, a lot more common. And just to give us an idea of, of what we're looking at here, uh, this is the best kept secret on the planet, more secret than the atom bomb. And so we've exposed this in our films. And we've also tied in the cattle mutilation phenomena with the... Um, Abduction phenomena, because this is number six in the series. We we just we're it's at the duplicators. We're about to release it. It's the darkest film I've ever worked on because what we've shown that there's a direct connection between the cattle mutilations and the women who are taken because the baby is taken in the third month of the first trimester. 
that child has to be put in back into something. Bovine cow blood can be used in human transfusions. Most people don't know that. Well, let me, so these let me, I'm going to, I'm coming up against a hard break here. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with uh, L.A. Marzulli, and uh, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire. Uh, we're talking with L.A. Marzulli, a, uh, an expert on politics, UFO phenomenon, and biblical prophecy. One, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know that, that many of the people that, that uh, pay attention to this area of uh, phenomenon, including myself, kind of view the uh, uh, things that are commonly referred to as space aliens as transdimensional beings that they can pop in and out of our of our reality or our, our frequency of operation, which is why so many of the seemingly bizarre things uh, can occur. But but one of the things that's, that's bothered me since I was a small child is if these are really fallen angels, if they are if they are um, uh, basically spirit beings that, that that are made into flesh, why would they need mechanical things such as flying saucers or things which are allegedly recovered at Roswell and stored in Hangar 17 at Wright-Patterson and those kinds of things? What, what are your thoughts there, on that? Well, there's another book I'm writing. Uh, I and keep I giving on, you these softballs, don't I? I? <laughs> I'm putting it on the back burner because I've got to get the rungs on disclosure out before the end of the year. Those are my marching orders. But the title of that book is called Supernatural Technology in the Bible. I'll give you a couple of examples about supernatural technology, which will answer your question. The first is Adam and Eve have been evicted from the Garden of Eden. So we know that there's two cherubim on the east gate, but why not the north, south, and the west gate? We're not told that. Only on the east gate are the cherubim there. The cherubim are placed as guardians. But guess what? In the center of that gate between the cherubim is what? a flaming sword which turns every which way. That is technology. That is supernatural technology. In the book of Ezekiel, when the angels come in with slaughter weapons, Mm. what are the slaughter weapons? What are we talking about here? The New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. That thing descends from... The, the third heaven. How does that work? Because it's defying gravity. In Second Kings, when Elisha says to, you know, the Lord, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he may see. Gehazi runs out of a tent and goes, oh, my gosh, I saw the chariots of fire. Chariots of fire above, you know, the armies of heaven. What are they doing there? And so there's technology in the Bible. Um, and to give you an idea, I'm just going to... I mean, you probably know this, but 
So this is a scenario. And I use this if I'm talking to new age people or people that aren't aware of the biblical prophetic narrative. I'll say, okay, so there's this guy. He's chained to a wall in, in a third world country. And this entity pops through the wall and appears to this guy. And the chains come off and the prison door opens by itself. And they walk outside, the entity in this guy, the prisoner, they walk outside, and lo and behold, the guards are all like asleep, like they've been switched off. They get to the to the end of the end of the hallway where the big prison door is, and that thing opens by itself somehow, and they walk outside, the entity disappears, and then the prisoner is free. I go, How many people in the audience think that that's an abduction or like an abduction? Pretty much every hand will go up. Mm-hmm. I said, What you just read was Peter jailbreak, which is in the book of Acts, which is in the biblical prophetic narrative. It's right there. You can read it for yourself in the book of Acts. You know, when you talk about the uh, the guards being turned off, I'm thinking about Mitch McConnell the other day when he's making a presentation, <laughs> and all of a oh, sudden yeah. he goes blank like somebody's pulled his programming, right? I never. I, I tweeted that day, is this proof that Mitch McConnell is really not a human being but is just some kind of automaton? But that's exactly what I thought about when I saw Mitch McConnell go that way. He says, no comment. Interesting. Yeah, I was, I was stunned. I, yeah, no comment. It's like, he just sits there like this. Yeah. Yeah. Blank. Not even blinking. No, not even He's like blinking. Comatose. It's, it's just, unbelievable. It's just like they've just yeah. pulled the plug and they just like Stepford wives and, and wait, I'm going to wait until somebody restarts my program. Oops. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so, you know, we have, uh, we have a, the great reveal coming here in the not too distant future. From what I can tell, there's been an acceleration in disclosure of information and leaked information and whistleblower information. So tell us what happens if the uh, if the um, the forces of evil, if these if these dark lords, these uh, fallen angels, come back to Earth en masse and are revealed to us publicly, I believe it's going to happen. Second um, Thessalonians tells us one of the books in the New Testament talks about because they did not believe the truth, God sends them strong delusion. So we need to decipher that. What is the truth? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, we can believe that, which is a 2,000-year-old scripture from the book of John, telling us exactly who the Word is, and, you know, and the Word of God, and he speaks everything into existence. Or we can believe the, the greatest fallacy which has ever been promulgated on the peoples of the earth, that of Darwinism, that over billions of years, somehow magically— the complexity of a deoxyribonucleic acid, the DNA of a double helix of life, the spiral of life, just just sort of just happened by itself, you know. <laughs> and yeah. poof, we get we get all this stuff. Yeah. So what? You know, and because they did not believe the truth, God allows. He sends the strong delusion. There will be a nuclear event on this planet in the, in the not too distant future. It'll create the greatest climate of fear that humankind has collectively ever experienced. It's not like it was 100 years ago, or even in World War II days, you know, 70, 75 years, 80 years ago, in World War II, when they drop Hiroshima and Nagasaki, when they show stuff, and it's, 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 it's not like that. Everybody's linked in. Everybody's hooked up. We live in a, in a world with the whole satellites in geosynchristic orbit. <clears throat> and so something like this happens. They've lit it up twice. The Fukushima disaster, when the tidal wave came in, we all watched it. 
We all watch it in real time. COVID, same thing. The grid's lit up. This is all you're going to see. A nuke goes off anywhere. And what's chilling to me is we see Russia and Ukraine threatening the use of tactical nukes. Have these people lost their minds? They have. The fact that it's even being run up the flagpole is beyond belief. So that nuke goes off. We all watch it. The entire globe watches it in real time, basically. We're seeing the aftermath. We're watching, looking at the the slaughtered people dead on the street. We're seeing all this. Everybody, the entire planet is immersed in fear. That's when they show up. That's when they show up and say, we will save you. We will take you to the promised land. That's it. Yep. That's where they show up. And how do how do we what do we do? I mean, uh, will the will we be enraptured before that fall or or what happens? It's a really interesting question. What what bothers me is we're already seeing a lot that I never thought we would see. So the question is is the church, the ecclesia, are we still here when this happens or um there's a saying I came up with a few years ago, we go up in the rapture of the church and they come down. That, so I don't know yet. What my heart, what I want, is we go up, and then they come down. All I know is when the church goes up, all hell's going to break loose, that's for sure. Quite, quite literally. Huh? Quite literally, all hell breaking loose. Literally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm going to have to wrap it up with you here. This has been an amazingly interesting day. I'm going to have to have you back on the program. Assuming, assuming there is a program here in the near future and we aren't all cinders, um, but, you know, the, the vast majority of the non-believers will, will cling to the Nephilim and say, we welcome you as saviors only to be enslaved forever. And so that's, that's something it. we all need to be aware of and uh, need to do everything we can. The only way to do it is to go back to God and believe in basic principles. Amen. Well, thank you for being on the show, and we will talk again. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that's kind of an interesting take on uh, the politics space aliens, and biblical prophecy. It's been a topic I've been interested in my whole life, but I I don't profess to have any actual idea what's going to happen. But one thing I do know is going to happen, I think there's a probability significantly greater than zero that there is going to be a generalized economic and societal collapse. And as my last guest said, all hell is going to break loose. Well, I have with us today a guy who knows what happens when all hell breaks loose and how to survive it and how to prepare for it. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Colonel Joe Adams. Hey, thanks for having me today. I appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about your background, and, and uh, one thing I always like to hear about is uh, how you threw a man in a volcano. Oh, you know, every time I testify in court, they depending on which side I'm on, they always bring that up. But I said, oh, let me explain something. Uh, are you talking about the guy who kidnapped a 15-year-old girl, and she disappeared for six months, uh, from Baldwin, is is that, is that the guy you're talking about? If, if that's the guy you're talking about, then yeah, I threw in a volcano. So what? <laughs> exactly. He had it coming. Uh, as far as I was concerned. So tell us a little bit, little bit about your background, because uh, I suspect you've been in, in the course of your military career and your post-military career, you've been in situations where there's been a general collapse of civilization and people have had to deal with it. True? Oh, true. Yeah. We, uh, even on one black ops mission, we took out 125 engineers from Indonesia when their economy collapsed. It was just total chaos. So uh, uh, give us a little bit of background on you because uh, your name will not be familiar to a lot of folks. Uh, you were a, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. No, actually, what I, what I did was I enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1970 because I, I wanted to go to Vietnam and, 
and fight because mm-hmm. all of my ancestors, clear back to Sam Adams, who I'm named after, uh, fought in every war. So I thought as an adult, all men went to war. And when I was in college, I heard that they were starting to shut down the Vietnam. And I think, well, I, I dropped out of school and enlisted in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at one year and 11 months, I was up for E5 sergeant, which is unheard of in the Marine Corps, all meritorious promotions. I graduated number one uh, from, from my basic training and uh, continued my, um, you know, great career. And every, every week I would put an AA form in to the commanding general for transfer to Vietnam. So uh, I was accepting an award and knew I was being promoted to sergeant. The commanding general said to me, uh, I think I might have something for you to cure your illness. And he says, uh, and I said, well, I just want to go to Vietnam. And he, and he said, well, you're too smart. I've never been accused of being too smart. Just ask my parents. So, so, uh, and then so I met with the Air Force, and I volunteered for a flight crew that flew out of Laos doing reconnaissance flights, what we called FAC, Ford Air Command, and completed flight training and became an officer. And then uh, uh, flew as a lieutenant and a captain. Then when the Iran-Contra thing came up, or Contras, I don't know about it. I've never been to Iran. Uh, I went in as a captain because I, I'm a pilot, and before I left the Contras in two years, I'd worked my way up to lieutenant colonel. All right. Well, we're going to have to take a commercial break now. When we come back, we'll do more with Colonel Joe Adams and uh, find out how we survived the coming apocalypse. Apocalypse. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on Fire. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Well, welcome back. We're going to continue with Colonel Joe Adams here. Uh, you you mentioned the uh, the country deal. One one of my good friends and the second guy to endorse my uh, Senate campaign was Colonel Oliver North. And uh, uh, tell us about what she did with the uh, the contra issue back there in the in the ancient past. Well, I got recruited by the CIA in '84. Uh, to go, go down to Honduras and Nicaragua and work with the Contra rebels and train actually security and bodyguards for the directorate, which is like their Congress. And I became personal bodyguards to Adolfo Calero, who was the head of the Contras. And then uh, I asked for a leave of absence because we had some Americans going to go in and combat. And so I took a leave of absence from that position and went in with the um, uh, Mos- uh, Mosquito Indians, Mosquito Rama and Suma Indians, to fight the Sandinista communist forces. And for that, I was rewarded with an, being indicted for 43, for 40, pending 43 years in the penitentiary for fighting communism. You know, this, this all sounds a little familiar in today's world where, where you go there to defend freedom, pre, pretend, pre, protect the United States' interest against communist insurgency, and guess what? You end up getting charged and uh, eventually convicted, right? I was convicted, yes. I was a, I was a convicted felon for one day. Well, tell, tell us about uh, your conversation with the judge. Well, uh, I was indicted on uh, weapon smuggling charges, which never, never never held up. 
And then I was I was uh, indicted for uh, conspiracy to violate neutrality, which is, means waging a war against a country that we're not at war with. Hmm. Sounds like Ukraine. Anyway, so uh, when I went before the federal judge, I, I pled guilty. And the reason I pled guilty to those charges, there was 14 Americans with me. And I, since I was the leader on combat operations, I, I chose to, and I, I plea bargained it to say, I will plead guilty if you let my men go. They didn't want them. These were, ju- these were just young Marines and soldiers. They, they, they wanted me because I was Calero's personal attache, okay? So I went before the federal judge, and they, they spent a million dollars getting me indicted, investigating me by the, and the FBI, who became my friends after this. And uh, I went before the judge, and he says, you understand the charges, Mr. Adams? And I said, no, I, no, I don't understand the charges. He goes, you know, you've been, you've been investigated for a year, and you've been with the FBI. Why don't you understand? Of course, my, my attorneys are kicking me. He's telling me to shut up, and I told them to shut up. <laughs> So I said, well, this says I conspired to commit violation of neutrality, waging a war against a country we're not at war with. I go, who the fuck you think's paying me? And he goes, well, uh, uh, I said, no, no, I did not conspire. I did it. So <laughs> after that, he, uh, he looked at the clerk and said, what's the least charge I can give this patriot? And she says, one day probation. He says, make that one day on supervised probation, and let's go have a beer and tell me what the hell's going on down there. Oh, I love it. True story. True story. And you were eventually pardoned then by, by President Reagan? Uh, and actually, the federal judge reversed the decision, and that's why we have contractors today. Oh. He said, it doesn't matter if a war is a war, covert or overt, we're involved in a covert or covert war mr adams is paid by the cia um and he says so that makes it legit now so he he actually i'm the one who made it possible to go fight in foreign wars that are undeclared yeah and and uh and were treated as a hero even by the court that had to convict (laughs) well he bought the beer so (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it well you're you know uh you're you're now a neighbor of mine out in franklin county and you're now the commander of an organization called the washington guard tell us a little bit about that well i left uh, my my last command was in croatia during the war in the balkans as a as a colonel before that i was in burma as a colonel a commissioned officer and so i retired came home Opened an international detective agency and was the most successful detective in the planet for 26 years. Hey, let me let me interrupt. Something just ticked my head. Were you on the cover of Soldier of Fortune one time? A few times, yeah. A few times, sorry. Just a, yeah, and cover the cover of Riverfront Times twice. Yeah, and and you uh, you and, were, they, and they hate us, right? So and you were yeah, they really do. Um, and you were a bodybuilder for a while too, right? And had yeah, a gym. That, well, that that was a phase I went through. And and I do everything to the extreme. And and and, and worked out with uh, your buddy Arnold Schwarzenegger. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything you haven't done in your in your short what? Well, your, first of all, Schwarzenegger's a dick. Okay, so he's <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a he, I mean, he's actually an ass, but it's. Okay. I have a lot of ass friends, so anyway. Uh, no, I just did everything to the extreme. I had a pause in my break from the military, so I just started working out and and, uh, and, and got really good at it. So I was Mr. Missouri, 1974, Mr. Na- uh, Mr. St. Louis, 1976, Mr. USA, I mean, all that kind of. But that's, you know, it's it's kind of a, it's not what I, I am. It was something to do at the time. I became a world-class marksman. What else? Yeah. So, and that's why the CIA actually recruited me. Because I was one of the best shooters in the world in '84, so what was the question? <laughs> the question is, um, 
Yeah, and now that you're retired from your very colorful life uh, oh, uh, as, uh, a, okay. as, a, as a soldier and as a mercenary and as a bodyguard and a bodybuilder and, and God knows what else, a volcano feeder. Yeah, uh, um, uh, you're now involved in something called the Washington Garden in my well, neck. You know, of the volcanoes way. need love too. Well, absolutely, so, right? And and human flesh occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe and the volcano. I get I get that a lot. Joe and the volcano. Yeah. Hey, so, no. So what happens? So uh, I toured the border in 2005 and saw what was going on during the Bush administration, and so I developed a team called Project Blue Light, and I went as a contractor working with Border Patrol for 12 years. And basically an intelligence operation and uh, black ops, okay? So then Trump gets elected, and I, I, I suffered through Bush, who was an open border, believe it or not, Obama, who tried to sabotage our border patrol and our federal agencies. And so I weathered that storm, got into Trump administration, and the, the sky was blue. He gave us all the assets, everything we needed to do to shut down the border. So now the cartel took control of the border in 2010. By 2018, we had reversed that because of Donald Trump. And it was amazing. So thinking that the Border Patrol used to ask me when they finally found out who I was at different places, like, Colonel, what what the hell are you doing down here? (laughs) And I said, I'm just trying to work myself out of a job. And I did. We were down to 400 apprehensions in my sector with Border Patrol a month, down to 400. Last month, they did uh, almost 4,000. Oh. So I left there thinking we had it made. Mm-hmm. Okay, And I came home and went back to my little private detective business and stuff. And then uh, the election happened. And I said, I even told my wife that, uh-oh, if Biden gets elected, we're going to go into Ukraine. She goes, why is that? I said, because Putin's going to go into Ukraine. I st- I'm still in contact because I, you know, I, I, I've been in the intelligence industry for 53 years. I have my sources just like you do, and my sources are solid. And I wrote a manifest on the Ukraine invasion before the invasion, and I was 98% perfect on my manifest for SOCOM, which is our Southern Operations Command. And so uh, some of my junior officers from, from Project Blue Light came to me and they said, Sir, we need to start a militia. I said, well, I'm just going to go fishing and play golf at the country club. And they said, no, you can't do that. We have a problem. So knowing that I lived in a corner of, of Hanley and uh, Clayton Road, I could not def- defend a defensive posture for a long period of time. And, of course, my neighbors, they didn't see the problem. So I relocated to Washington, Missouri, just to start a militia to protect the community. And when I first went out there... We have what they call a four-ops team, which is our military branch of the militia, because 90% of our people are just men and women who want to help and with logistical support and support our operation. And this thing has grown to where now we're now in 13 states. We just got Wyoming last month, uh, last week, and now I'm in, I'm in, I have followers now in seven foreign countries, including the Ukraine. Oh, wow. And and uh, tell us what the uh, what the goal and the purpose of uh, the Washington Guard is. Well, we know I know personally that bad times are coming, so preparing. How do you prepare? And that's what I teach and bring experts in to teach the community how to prepare for this. Now, I did not realize there's a lot of preppers out there in Franklin County, but if you can't protect what you've prepped, you're just gathering stores for the bad guys. Yeah. 
So that's where we come in. That's yeah. not going to happen in my community. Just a, a little sidelight. When the uh, when the mob was approaching my house and I had guns all over the place, the uh, guy who was in charge of my security started rounding up the guns. I said, what, you don't like my guns around? He says, why should you give them free guns? Right. Yeah. Yep. I'll give him some free guns. <laughs> uh-huh. At least some high-speed parts of those guns. Right. No, we're a very professional, a lot of veterans, a lot of combat experience veterans, uh, law enforcement people working with us. And the first thing I did was go around to all the sheriffs in Gasconade County, Franklin County, and in, 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 in the chiefs of police and said, here's, here's what I've got planned. Well, I guess they had done their homework on me. And I noticed that one time I met with a sheriff, and he was standing at the front door of the city hall, opening the door for me. He was waiting on me. Now, that's kind of strange. Anyways, we have total support by law enforcement. We support them. They're the, they're the thin blue line. Uh, the average police department is a thousand to one ratio with civilians. And when the crunch comes, it'll be, it will be chaos because we're, you know, we're this Saint this Saint Louis is three meals away from chaos. And nine meals away from total anarchy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ferguson was an example. Well, and then where, where I live in the city of St. Louis, you think you were indefensible in, in Clayton. I mean, where I am in the city of St. Louis, when the supermarkets get looted empty and the liquor stores get looted empty and everybody's out there trying to find something to eat and drink and they have no resources, guess where they're going to go? Right. Yeah. And, I, I, hey, I was in Clayton, and there was a lady at, the st- at a stoplight handing out brochures. Don't rob our communities. Go rob Ledoux, Clayton, Richmond Heights. Go after them. They, she was handing out flyers of who, to, of who to attack. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was planning on having you uh, talk about uh, the, the nuts and bolts of prepping uh, on the show today, but I got so caught up in talking to you about you, um, we, we aren't going to have time to get to it. Can I get you back on oh, the no. show sure. to, to talk about how what people can practically do to save their asses when the when it hits the fan? I got all the answers, and we got a big, big, big event October the seventh. I'm bringing in two of my Medal of Honor recipient heroes. I'm bringing in uh, Joey Jones from uh, Fox News, the guy who lost his legs in Afghanistan. Uh, Rocky Sickman's going to be there, and you're going to be there. I know you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. In fact, you got to buy a ticket. You know that. Uh, yeah, I'll buy, <laughs> I'll buy two. <laughs> hey, tell, tell, tell the uh, people of the world how they, can get, how they can get to that event and what it's going to cost them and, and uh, where it's going to be. It's uh, the WashingtonGuard.com, and go to the events, and you can get your tickets. They went on sale about a week ago, and we're selling out. It's going to be a sold-out crowd. We're going to rock and roll. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been a pleasure meeting you, and, and we've uh, come down and talked to your group a couple of times, and it's a, it's a great group of human beings, patriots, and people that are willing to stand between us and disaster, and that's what we all need to do. First line of defense, buy a gun. Absolutely. That's what I always say. Guns, ammunition, antibiotics, that's the currency of crisis. If somebody hands you a five-pound bag of rice or an AR-15, take the AR-15. I thought you liked the AK better. Uh, wait, that's a secret. <laughs> but my but my AK is on two two three platform. See, <laughs> I only got to wipe by one type of ammunition. There you go. All right. Well, Colonel Joe Adams, I appreciate it. We'll have you back on again. Thank you. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's a guy that you won't meet every day. You know, every once in a while, you think you've had an interesting life, and then you meet a guy who's had a really interesting life. Well, you know, I was going to plan on doing more of a roundup of the week. Uh, news that makes your life cringe, but I really don't have a lot of time left. But one of the things I wanted to mention was in the news this week, amongst other things, we had this guy named uh, Pergoshin, who was a head of the uh, Wagner military group. 
Well, he apparently died in an airplane crash or not. I mean, if you're going to fake your own death, there's no better way to do it than an airplane crash where you get incinerated. Um, but uh, And everybody's saying, oh, that Putin, he's a murderer. He's a bad guy. He killed his political opponent. <laughs> what did we have this week? We had Donald J. Trump, far and away the leading candidate for president of the United States, the guy that's going to shake everything up, the guy that you just heard gave Colonel Joe Adams the, the – the tools he needed to fix the border. And what are they doing? They not, might not be bombing his airplane, but they're bombing his career. At least they think they are. And you know, everything they do just backfires because, ladies and gentlemen, they may be evil. They may be conspiratorial, but they just don't understand basic human beings. And basic human beings in this country are waking up. And we're going to find out very soon that their, their plans to undermine the Trump campaign, to undermine the effort to restore our democratic republic, then uh, efforts to undermine the Constitution will fail because they've underestimated the basic intelligence of the average human being because they can see that when the government lets radicals run wild, when they let the cities burn, when they let the stores get looted, but then they arrest the President of the United States for making phone calls, that there is something dramatically wrong with this country. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you this out of personal experience and from exposure to all of them. When I was at CPAC this year, I met everybody running for president except for Ron DeSantis, who didn't have the guts to show up. I said that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was the sharpest guy I'd met in a long time. But even if he's smart and even if he's gung-ho, he doesn't have the force of character to stand up against the swamp. There's only one man I know who can actually win this thing. They can beat back the swamp, beat back the left beat back the evil that wishes to undermine our God and our country and our families, and that's Donald J. Trump, and we've got our elected president again. From the time that they took his meg shot until the rest of our lives, we have to all be Donald Trump. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next Sunday afternoon. They may Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com.